want the cup. We want the cup. We want the cup. We want the cup. Continuing our trek, Anthony and I are, uh, through the North Division in the NHL. Uh, we stopped by the Flames a few days ago. Now we're dropping in on the Oilers. Mark Spector is joining us. Mark, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Boys, what's going on? Well, not a whole lot uh, these days. It's rather cold down here uh, in, in, in Philadelphia today, but you're up there in Alberta, so I don't think uh, the cold bothers you anymore, right? Yeah, not a lot of sympathy uh, <laughs> for the United States, so suck it up, boys. <laughs> Hey, well, I'm from Montreal, so I'm used to the cold. <laughs> the Oilers uh, off to a you know, bit of a slower start, three, five, and one, uh, hanging on, you know, for dear life in the North Division, which is off to a fast start. You know, what's what's going on up there at Edmonton? Why did they not get off to the start that you new know, people were hoping they would? Um, a few reasons. You know, they they. Sort of, it goes back to free agency guys in October. Ken Holland went into free agency looking for a new goalie. Uh, he went all in after Jacob Markstrom and didn't get him. Markstrom went to Calgary. So then I said, okay, I'm going to scratch a few itches here instead. And it, you know, at the time you thought it's probably a good idea. They needed a third line center in Kyle Turris. Went out and got Kyle Turris as a UFA. They didn't have a third line center. Uh, Oscar Clefbaum's out for the whole year, so they had to go find a guy that could kind of run a power play, a bit of a more offensive defenseman, so they signed Tyson Berry to a one-year deal. And then they picked up Dominic Cahoon, who's you know is a guy that grew up with Leon Dreisaitl and, and sort of should fit on that left side, you'd think. So they kind of got three guys, they grabbed a couple depth players, and you thought, you know what, this was a team that last season they were the best Canadian team at the pause. They had more points, better percentage than everybody. And they just got deeper and a little bit stronger. So you thought, you know what, I don't mind the work that Ken Holland did. But now that the season has started, the problem is all these guys that came in have been brutal, right? Tourist looks like he's done. Cahoon has one assist. Tyson Berry's off the power play and not looking very good. So the improvements haven't improved the team any, guys. That's the biggest problem. How long do you think before Tippett goes back to putting Dreisaitl up on the top line with McDavid? Oh, that's... He, I don't think that he will, right? I don't think he will. It's pretty much, uh, uh, you know, the, we've got quorum on the fact that the Oilers are a better team when they run their own separate lines. Those are two centermen. McDavid's got his line. Drysdale's got his line. If the Leafs are leading tonight 3-2 to two in the third period with 10 minutes left, oh, yeah, they'll jump over the boards and play on a line together for sure. That's Tippett's M.O., but I don't think we'll get to a point where you're starting games with those two guys on the same line. No. 
Why didn't they uh, address the goaltending this year after all the movement that was made in the free agent market? That's you know, I mean, it's a good question. I think what happened was like goaltending ha- the 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 goaltending scenario happens pretty quickly. Like he Kenny Holland got all after Jacob Markstrom didn't happen and then you know if you want to get players on free agency you got to act quickly and uh they probably could have got you know they probably could have worked a Braden Holtby or somebody like that but they basically made a choice to say you know we've got this is we've got enough holes in this lineup that we're going to go this other direction and you know what their their goal I mean I don't know how to say their goaltending isn't top it's not great goaltending the tandem of Koskinen and Smith last year, like I say, they was good enough to make Edmonton the best team in Canada. So I think they thought they could squeeze another year out of that tandem. The problem is Mike Smith got hurt before the season even started. He hadn't played a game yet. So that's the issue when you have a 39-year-old goalie. They get hurt a lot. Uh, this guy hasn't given them a game. So you know, I'll say this. Goaltending hasn't been their issue. Koskinen's a, a, a 1B goalie. He's, you know, he'll get you by. It hasn't been the issue. It's not the reason for their slow start. It's anyone who tells you it's about goaltending, they're kidding themselves. Uh, there's a lot of other reasons Edmonton has been winning games. Koskinen giving them a chance to win almost every night, and they're leaving them alone quite a bit. So Oscar Clefbaum, their number one defenseman in many ways, is out for the entire season. Has anyone stepped up in his absence? Well, lots of guys are being asked to, right? Ethan Bear has been asked to step up. He ended up sitting out a game. He hasn't played that well at all. Caleb Jones is a younger guy. He's only had 40 games when the season started. They're hoping for some, you know, for him to take a bit of a bite out of Oscar Clefbaum's 25 minutes a night. But he hasn't been appreciably uh, made an appreciable difference. You know, Darnell Nurse is playing pretty well. He'd be a guy that's taken some of that time. But he was already playing 22 and a half minutes. So, you know, listen, like Oscar Clefbaum isn't a, a de facto number one defenseman like Alex Petrangelo or Shea Weber or Drew Doughty or even Quinn Hughes or any of those guys. But he's Edmonton's number one defenseman, right? He's Edmonton's best guy. It's, it's kind of like Riley in Toronto. So, you know, losing 25 minutes, losing the guy that ran the last year's the Oilers power play was the best power play in like 40 years in the league. Everyone said, ah, what'd Clefbaum do? All he did was just, you know, direct the puck around and distribute. Well, now you watch that power play without Oscar Clefbaum on it, you realize he did a hell of a lot more than probably we thought. So uh, you can't blame Ken Holland. You can't blame Dave Tippett and the Oilers for struggling without their 25-minute defenseman. You know, take Riley away from the Leafs, see how things go. Take Weber away from the Habs. Take Giordano away from the Flames. It, it hurts, man. And the Oilers are trying to deal with it the best they can. Is Tyson Berry carrying any of the weight, the new acquisition they had this summer? No. Matter of fact, <laughs> he's not. <laughs> you know, there's two Tyson Berries here, and we're trying this is the year we kind of figure out who's who. You know, the Tyson Berry we watched in Colorado was a pretty good player. Uh, very dynamic offensively. Um, you know, really a noticeably good skater, superior to to everyone else out there, very elusive player. Uh, then there's the guy that went to Toronto that wasn't many of those things, right? Uh, he wasn't impactful in Toronto. Uh, he didn't have a lot of success in the power play in Toronto. He, him and Babcock obviously never saw it. eye. So we all thought, you know what? Here's a guy. He got crushed by Babcock. It was his first trade to a new market. 
you know, sometimes, lots of times, guys struggle in that scenario, right? Their first time away from their team that drafted them. So they bring him into Edmonton on a one-year deal and think, okay, you know what? He's going to be a better player here. And he hasn't been. Hasn't been anywhere close to a better player. His defensive work is is about a C- minus or D, and his offensive work's about a C. So he's getting killed in his own end, five-on-five, five, and he's not making up for it offensively right now he's a big minus player and it has better it's got to get better if he thinks he's going into free agency next year and make, getting a big paycheck from somebody because he's starting to look like a very average player how has been the return of Jesse Pugliarvi to the Edmonton Oilers yeah so that's a huge positive right huge positive you know we all have these every market guys you know, every market has that player, right? Look how you someone's in Philly, you got Nolan Patrick down there, right? Big high draft pick that hasn't worked out yet. And the fans are fixated on the guy. You know, in Calgary, that guy was Sam Bennett at one point. He was a fourth overall. Turns out he's just a good bottom six forward. Uh, Vertanen in, in Vancouver, high draft pick. Turns out he's a good bottom six forward. So... You know, Jesse Poyarvi's that guy in Edmonton. They pick him fourth overall in 2016, and he's six foot four. He skates really well. He's got a good shot. Like, he has got every tool in the hockey toolbox, you guys. Just watch him play in practice, and you go, wow, man, how can this guy not be a player? So he shows up his first run through here, and he wasn't a player, and he couldn't figure it out. He didn't have his English settle down, and goes back to Finland, spends the season. Gets a little older, a little more mature. Now he's here and he looks like an NHL player. You know, he's playing the game the way you have to play it here. There's not a bunch of big swooping circles. He's stopping and starting. He's using his huge frame to protect the puck and to, and to win battles. And all of a sudden now, everyone's taking a fresh look at this kid and saying, okay, this is the guy we thought. Remember, he was the MVP of the World Junior in, what was it, 2016. Uh, now we're seeing that player. So it's taken a little bit longer than they wanted in Eminem, guys, but I like Jesse Pugliarvi at this point. I mean, he certainly at this point looks like he could be a top six right winger, which is what you hoped when you picked him fourth overall. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, 27 years old now, feel like just yesterday he was drafted. At the end of his contract, you know, do you think the Oilers bring him back or do you think he tests the free agent market this summer? That's a good question. You know, because the free agent market is it's it's completely changed in the during the course of Ryan Nugent Hopkins' contract. You know, and so is the player. Like he's a winger here now, for one, guys. You know, if you if you want to get him on your team, he's still a pretty good second line center for you. Like he could play center. He's played center his whole career. But here in Edmonton, you're paying a winger. So, you know, if the assumption is everybody gets a raise when they get a new contract. Are you going to pay Ryan Nugent Hopkins? You, know, you paid him six million as a centerman. Now he's a winger. Are you going to pay him six million or six and a half as a, as a left winger? I'm not sure you are. Uh, that's a good question. I guess it depends how much you want him. He's a high skilled guy. Compliments McDavid and Drysaddle really well. He's got tons and tons of skill. But I would say to you that you know what can six and a half buy you in the free agent market now? You know, look at the price that guys are going for here. Uh, how much could you improve your team with six and a half million dollars in a free agent market next summer instead of Ryan Nugent Hopkins? So that's the decision that that Ken Holland will make. There's nothing wrong with Nugent Hopkins. There's nothing wrong with him. He's a good, high skill player. He makes your team better. There's, there's really there's no negatives. It just becomes about how much you want to pay, you know, your top line left winger. What do you think he's worth? You know, four and a half years ago, they made the big trade to trade 
Taylor Hall to New Jersey for Adam Larson. In the immediate impact, it seemed very much like a lopsided trade in favor of the Devils. But now since Hall has moved on to two different teams, maybe not so bad. How do the fans feel about Adam Larson? And do you think he's extended beyond this season? That's another That's another excellent question. Um, first of all, that's, that trade goes down in history as a lopsided, lousy trade for Edmonton, right? End of story, new paragraph. Like, don't let's not reshape history here. Pete Chiarelli made a lousy deal. It was a poor trade. That is the story. So having said that, that's not Adam Larson's fault. It's got nothing to do with him. But, you know, Larson's, Larson's a guy that, that he's that rare stay-at-home, hard-to-play-against, physical, tough defenseman. And that's good because every team needs that guy. Like, I want one of those guys on my team. Every good Stanley Cup-winning team has Rob Scuderi on it, has, you know, back in the day, Ken Danico on it, has, you know, guys like Matty Nordstrom was such a hard player. Uh, and Larson's kind of the new age version of that guy. But he's had a couple of lousy seasons here, and his defensive work is starting to wane. He hangs his hat on the fact that you're not supposed to be scoring goals while he's out there. He's not creating much offensively, but he's hard to score against. And last year wasn't a good year for him. He busted his foot about the first game of the year, never really recovered, came back for the qualifying round, wasn't any good at all. And this season started, hadn't been that good, guys. So... You know what? When when the defensive defenseman starts to show a proclivity to not being that not defending very well, then you start to ask yourself what's left, right? What else is he doing for me? And if Adam Larson's getting scored on, then Adam Larson isn't doing enough for you anymore. So I would think the orders will assess his play at the end of the season. I think he's making like four point one. You know, there again, in today's free yesterday's free agent market, four point one's you know a bit of money. Today it's a lot of money. So I would question uh, whether or not they sign him again. I guess we're going to have to see what happens next summer. But they'll make a decision based on his play this year, and it better improve from where it's at right now. Where do you think the Oilers ultimately end up finishing in, in the North Division this year? Well, I picked them as a playoff team, and that's too early to jump off of that. You know, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat myself. This was the best. They, they were they had more points and a better winning percentage than any team in Canada last season. And I thought they improved their roster this year. So I think they're a playoff team. You know, they're having a slow start to three and five, but that's not something you can't overcome. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to tell you they're going to be in first place. I don't know where they'll finish. My, I picked Montreal for first place in the division when the thing started, and so far so good. But um, I think Edmonton's a pretty decent team. They certainly have two of the best players in the world. And if, you know, if, if Koskinen gets hurt, all bets are off here. I think Koskinen's enough goalie to get him there if the team's playing well in front of him. To piggyback off of that, do you foresee any major changes if by some chance they don't get into the playoffs? Well, lineup changes. They're not changing a coach or a GM here. Okay, that's not... This is only the second season for Holland and Tippett, and this organization's been like the Cleveland Browns, the way they traded off, <laughs> fired GMs and coaches. That's over, my, is my understanding. And if it's not, you'll read a pretty spicy column on sportsnet.ca. Um, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, right. So, no, no, I don't see – they're not firing a coach. They're not firing a GM. Sure, you don't make the playoffs. Do you make some lineup changes? Well, of course you do. Everybody does. So, yeah, there will be. Uh, you know, and, and I think we've touched on the big ones. Like Ryan Nugent Hopkins is the big one here. 
Um, you know, Tyson Berry, the, the hope was he'd come in and establish himself and then maybe sign a three or four year deal after this year. Well, the way he's playing right now, he doesn't, there's absolutely no chance he signs a three, four year deal here next year. Now we're only eight games in, you can turn that around, but um, you know, yeah, the, the, if they don't make the playoffs, is there or will there be roster changes? You're damn right there will be. And I think if they don't make the playoffs, you'll see a, a very direct play at a, at a goaltender coming in here next season as well. What does our prospect pipeline look like? Do they have any big names that are on the horizon? You know, it's funny. They got a ton of defensemen. Uh, Philip Broberg captained the uh, Swedish team at the World Junior. He was hurt the whole World Junior, and he played. But, you know, having seen him play, he was at about 60%. But he's a very nice young Swedish defenseman. Evan Bouchard's a first-round pick. He's on the taxi squad here. Uh, he's about ready to make the jump into the NHL. They got a defenseman uh, who played in, uh, I believe, Guelph, uh, Dmitry Samarukov, who is loaned full time this season to uh, the Red Army in uh, the KHL. But he's a nice-looking player. You know, I watched him at the World Junior out in Vancouver and Victoria, and he was running the Russian power play. And I'm not saying he's Romanov, but holy cow, was he good there. So they've got a few guys on defense coming up, a whole bunch of guys, actually. Not a lot of prospects up front, guys. Uh, not a lot of prospects up front. So you know, Raphael Levois, a kid out of the Quebec League, he's overplaying in Europe right now. But it's they're not as rich in the forward ranks uh, as they are on defense for sure. You already kind of alluded to it, but like, how does their front office shake out? Because obviously Daryl Cates is the owner, Bob Nicholson is the, the chairman. But does Ken Holland have absolutely free reigns as far as hockey ops go? Because I remember being from Montreal, I remember Bob Nicholson being a big part of Hockey Canada. Does he only really step in when it's a major change to the front office? Yeah, I would say that Bob Nicholson would sort of be the liaison to the ownership, right? And he ties together. You know, the Oilers Entertainment Group's a big a big intricate intricate web out here it's they're not just a hockey team i mean obviously they're not putting on concerts right now because no one is but uh bob nicholson's kind of the business on top of the business end of this organization he brings together the concert division the hockey division the you know everything else they're doing so uh the only time he gets involved in hockey if it comes time to fire a general manager i would say so that leaves him out for a while. Yeah, I don't. Uh, and I, to your question, Ken Holland has, um, you know, he has unfettered uh, power in terms of hockey movement. He's the guy. No one's looking over Bob uh, Ken Holland's shoulder and telling him how to be a GM. What does James Neal bring to the lineup these days? Probably not the 30 goal scorer he once was, but is he still useful on the ice? Yeah, it's a good question, right? Like he started the year uh, under under a COVID protocol, and he's just working back in. So I don't know. You know, it's hard. Like he's that bad Milan Lucic contract, right? Let's let's call a spade a spade. The reason you have him is because you signed Lucic to a terrible contract. He couldn't play. They miraculously moved him to Calgary and got James Neal, and Calgary had signed Neal to a contract, and they didn't think he could play. So. You know, given your druthers, you'd rather not have six million spent on James Neal, who's a third, fourth line guy. Let's face it, they're stuck with the deal. So the question is, what can you eke out of him? Last year, he had 19 goals. You know, 19 goals in a shortened season. So that's, I'm not saying that's the greatest thing in the world, but 19 goals ain't bad. So 
you know, what do you do with him? His feet are failing him a little bit. He's slowing down. He's still got great hands. So he can work net front in the power play for you and probably come off of the third or fourth line and, and five-on-five play. But uh, he'll hopefully give you a little depth scoring down there once in a while. But it's going to be about his feet, right? Every older player in this league, guys, you know it. The minute you can't keep up is the minute you can't play. And every year that passes, James Neal, like, you know, they say father time's undefeated, right? Uh, he's fighting that fight right now against father time for sure. You know, in the flat cap world, it is so hard to make deals. It's all, it seems like it has to be money in money out. And that will be especially true for the Edmonton Oilers who have zero cap space if they want to make any acquisitions. But if Ken Holland does look to explore the trade market, what position do you think he would want to address first and foremost? Well, I would say to you that if his if Kyle Turris can't play here, if he continues, like right now of all the guys they've picked up over the summer, Kyle Turris has been by far the biggest disappointment. He's a long ways from being a good player. So you need to have a third-line center you can count on five-on-five. On five. Your third-line center can't be out there getting scored on every night. That's That's murder, right? So I would say to you that if Kyle Turris can't cut it, they're going to have to go out and find themselves a third-line center. That would be the first thing. Obviously, they're set on first-line center. They're set on second-line center. And they got a few guys kicking around that could be fourth-line centers. But they need a third-line center that can play. It's supposed to be Kyle Turris, guys. Let's find out if it is or not. What kind of career is Kyler Yamamoto off to? He seemed like a guy from an outside perspective here in Philly that kind of had a lot of hype around him. But looking at his numbers, it doesn't seem like he's been that impressive in the NHL thus far. Yeah, no, he's a good player, you guys. He's a really good player. Uh, this is a player, and I think by my comments throughout this interview, you can tell that I'm not Mr. Positive Oilers guy <laughs> on every player. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, this guy's a really good player. Uh, he's small. You know, he's a small guy, but he's fixed himself on, on dry saddles right wing. He is He's that little buzzsaw that goes in the corner against defensemen that have six and eight inches in height and 30 pounds on them, and he walks out with a puck uh, and furnishes your Hart Trophy winning center with a nice feed, right? Um, very good young player. He's a legit top six guy. He's going to play in his team for a long time. Uh, there is no, there's no, um, it's just to compete. It's just, it's just the, you know, here you got this little guy that jumps over the boards and competes harder than everybody. He's, he's a coach's dream. Cause all you got to do is tell your guys, watch that guy play. Uh, so no, he's, he's a, are his points. I mean, he's only a second year NHL player, right? So, you know, let's wait and see what happens with the points. I'm not sure he's going to be a 75, 80 point guy, but, um, a very good player uh, on an entry-level deal right now. If if all the guys in their second pro year were as established as this guy, you'd have a really good team. So last one for you, Mark, before we get you out of here. And this this has been an important question I've wanted to ask for quite a long time, but when are the Oilers going to stop changing their jerseys? Oh, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> hey, you know what? I would say to you that they're not an exclusive entity here. Uh, that's what they do now. Everyone's changing their jerseys all the time. I don't like it either. I'm a traditionalist. Yeah, I'd go back to that blue, you know, blue jersey of the Oilers and just stick with it myself. The Gretzky one? Yeah, the, the old whatever. The, I mean, Taylor Hall wore that jersey too. Sure, just the blue. I, I personally, I like their whites. 
I like their blues. If you want to have that orange jersey as a um, third jersey, that's fine with me. It's starkly different from the other two. And this dark blue thing they're wearing right now <laughs> is the most the ugliest looking set of, set of sweaters I've ever seen in my life. I don't know who's buying them and who's wearing them. They look awful. So <laughs> let's get back to a hockey jersey and quit changing every year, will you? I think a lot of markets will echo the same feeling in yes. that regard. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you very much for uh, taking time in your day to talk to us, and uh, stay safe out there. All right, boys, thanks for having me. Yep. Anytime. Talk to you soon, Mark. All right, boys, see you up. Take it easy. All right, everybody, that was Mark Spector. Get some 411 on the Edmonton Oilers, the, the Edmonton Connor McDavid's. And dry sidles because that's all they have up there apparently. <laughs> it's so crazy that team. Like how like we talk a lot about the Flyers. Like oh we've been rebuilding since 2014, and I look at the Oilers, and I'm just like they've quite literally been rebuilding since 2008. Like, yeah. Like I, I remember when I was like just starting high school, and like it was still the tail end of like the Sean Horkoff, Alish Hemsky, Sam Gagne, Andrew Cogliano era. Uh, I think Dwayne Rollison was the yeah, goalie Dwayne at the Rollison. time. Hobby Bolin was up there around that time, too. Yes, he was. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, it was him. And then on defense, I for, it was like Ladislav Schmid and Yoni Pikkinen yeah, and yeah. Jeff Sanders. Yeah, so, like, they've, you know, there, there's a part of me that just wants them to keep failing. But like Mark said, like, they've changed that front office so many times. Like, since that rebuild started, you've gone from Kevin Lowe to Steve Tambellini to Craig McTavish to Pete Chiarelli to Ken Holland. Like, it's just, it's insanity. And then the coaches, then the coaches, it's like Pat Quinn, Tom Rennie, Dallas Eakins, Todd Nelson, Craig McTavish again. Uh, then they went with Todd McClellan. Then they went with Kent Hitchcock. Now you're Dave Tippin. Like some of these names, like are well-known head coaches, like very well-respected, highly successful coaches in the National Hockey League. And it's like nobody can figure this out. And I, like, I don't think it will ever get to the point where they start exploring, you know, uh, trading uh, Connor David and Leon Dreisaitl. I just can't imagine. But at the same time. I guess they're an example of whenever you're feeling down about your franchise and how it's been for the last number of years, like just take a step back and look at what's gone on there. It's just some kind of cosmic justice that even though they have two of the best players in the world, they still can't get their head out of their ass. But um, yeah. scrolling through the gram here, it looks like Jimmy Howard just retired. So uh, best of luck. He was a guy I always wanted to be really good and never was. Poor yeah, he, he came... He came in right after the Osgood era, I yeah. think. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was he, he was an Olympian, was he not? He was. I feel I, like he was on Team USA. Yeah, he was on uh, one of them there international things. Jamie. You know, I, I I never like to say that like he got like players got a like an unfair shake, but he really kind of came into his own right as Detroit was dwindling down. And I feel like, I guess his peak was 2011 to 2015. 
And I and I suppose that Detroit was still kicking around as a playoff team for those years, the tail end of the Mike Babcock era. But at the same time, it must kind of suck. Like there there has to be there's something to be said about players who joined the Detroit Red Wings, like let's say in the 2010s, like a, let's say a Danny DeKaiser type of player or a, maybe a Darren Helm, although he caught I think he was with the team when they won their last cup. Darren in Helm was like 45 years old. He's been around forever. <laughs> no, and he just never changed. <laughs> the exact okay. same player he was today. He's uh, God, he's only 34. How long has he been playing? He's in the league since uh, 2007 he debuted. Yeah, because I feel like he was the playoff hero when they won the cup in 08 against the Penguins. He had uh, four goals and five points in those 23 games. Have you ever thought about like those random like I don't want to say plugs because I don't want to be disrespectful, but let's say like bottom six slash bottom pairing guys who just stuck with the same team forever? Yeah, the Flyers have uh, two dozen. Of them. <laughs> I walked right into that one. Yeah, but but I, like I I get man that sucks now that you bring it up, but. Uh... <laughs> But, like, I always thought, like, um, although he, he spent a season with St. Louis most recently, but, like, Chris Thorburn was that guy with, like, Atlanta and Winnipeg. That yeah. he was just always there. Or, like, Chris Neal. Oh, and he ended up, did he end up in Nashville, Chris Neal? I think so. Or did he retire as a senator? I think he was testing the water, but maybe he retired. Yeah, he never played for anybody else besides the Sens. No, so that Chris Neal, like... Actually, Detroit has a few of them as well. Like Justin Abdelkader, although they just bought him out, I think. He was another one. Like, there's just, it's very, like, bizarre sometimes to see how, like, one, like, role player, for lack of better terms, just sticks around with the same club, like, through years and years and years. And I know he didn't start with the Islanders, but, like, Clutterbuck is kind of that guy now. Yeah, he's been around for a while. Although he, he started, can you believe he was traded for Nino Niederreiter? Oh, God, that's right. <laughs> like, Oops. and Niederreiter didn't, <laughs> and Niederreiter got traded again for, oh, that was that bad trade for Victor Rask. Oh, that's right. <laughs> right. Oh, boy. Well, you know, I kind of Memory feel... lane here. Yeah, like, think about all those botched first-round picks that the Islanders had. Like, Nita Ryder, Griffin Reinhardt, Dick Hall, even though I know he's kind of kicking around now. Josh Hosang, like, oof. Yeah, what, Doug Hole's around. I guess it took quite a while for uh, Bolivier to become something, and poor bastard. Oh, well, I have no sympathy for the Islanders. Fuck them. I think I think Reinhardt was the biggest swing and a miss. Like although a third or third or fourth overall or something. Although, and I could be wrong on this, but I'm fairly certain they traded him for a first round pick to the Oilers that became Matthew Barzell. I think that's what happened. There is no way that's true. Search it up. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty because I I know for a fact that at the 2015 draft. They traded Griffin Reinhardt to the Edmonton Oilers for a first-round draft pick. I'm just uncertain. Griffin Reinhardt it... traded to the Islanders June 26, 2015. Of course, it doesn't tell me who the picks were, but it was a 2015 first and 2015 second. 2015 NHL draft. I would assume 
That's Barzell. New York Islanders. Uh, yeah, the pick uh, or originated originated in Edmonton. So that was Barzell's pick. Oops oh. again. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so the Islanders made up for that one. That's for sure. The second round pick would have been. Uh, I think that one was traded to Tampa for Mitchell Stevens. Where the fuck that is? He's their fourth line center right now. Oh, look at that. Hmm. Uh, I oh. mean, it's so cr- like okay. The Flyers have the bad one that the second rounder that they traded for McDonald eventually became Brandon Carlo. And the other one was and... a Sorokin, I believe, right? Oh shit! Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. You you know it, it's funny because I I was I was just kind of looking over the Flyers draft picks since this quote unquote rebuild started, and like 2015, they really knocked out of the park with Provorov and Konechny. But like when when I relook at it, like I Provorov was a slam dunk, especially given the fact that the Devils took Zaka right before him sixth sixth overall. But I mean, like they still could have had a guy like Rontanen or um, Timo Meyer, but he's not really in the same group. Or Matthew Barzell. But I'm I was so happy when they took Provorov, and it's proved to be a slam dunk. But like Konechny, they took it twenty fourth overall. Like ju- just for. Just for shits and giggles, like, do you think that, like, given what's happened and what's played out, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but would you have rathered them selected Brandon Carlo? Yeah, that probably would have helped a little more uh, than than TK. I guess you know he's fine. I know people are gonna get mad at me every time I bring him up, but uh, having another uh, stud young defenseman back there would go a long way right about now. And it's. And like in the in the moment, I remember there was even talk that they would use their their higher first round pick to take a forward because at that time they had already drafted Goss Spear and Hag and Sanheim, and then they went with Provorov. And thank God they did that. But like it's just kind of like that same thing we always come back to is that we were sold this bill of goods that you know like one day the top six would be like Provorov, Goss Spear, Sanheim, Myers, Robert Hag, and whoever the, and Sam Moray, and they're all, and they're, we're going to have three first pairing D, um, first pairing, um, first pairings rather. I'm sorry. I stuttered there, (laughs) but like, we're going to have all these guys that are going to like challenge for all-star games. And then like fast forward all these years and okay, the jury's still kind of out on Phil Myers, but, and Ivan Provorov in my mind is a generational defenseman. But after that, it's just like, how many times do we say just a bunch of dudes? Yeah, yeah, just a bunch of dudes. That that is the overarching story of the Ron Hextall era. Just a bunch of dudes with two or three really good players that shine out, but everybody else is just a dude. They're all AHLers, fourth yeah, line I... scrubs and depth defensemen and players that are supposed to be good like they're but they're not really. And yeah, great. I heard he's on uh, Pittsburgh's radar to replace uh, Jr. Oh no, I I I don't think so. I can't. I can't. I can't think that any franchise would do that to themselves. Like especially, what he's going to get a team in. that's still in the win now mode. <laughs> he's going to pull Crosby and Malkin into the room, and be like, "Yeah, so uh, we're going to trade everyone not named you guys, and you're going to play with a bunch of scrubs." 
But, uh, We're gonna re- bring Andrew McDonald back. He's still out there somewhere. And... He has a <laughs> Valtteri Filippo still got some kick left in him. We'll bring him back. <laughs> he has a y- Yori Laterra jersey hanging in his office. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I heard he's tearing it up in the Russian leagues this year. In the clubs, or well, I mean, probably <laughs> everywhere, really. If we're being a being honest there. I'm sure Dave Haxel's available. They can pry him out of Toronto. As a new head coach. I still can't <laughs> believe. Uh, I, I put out a tweet yesterday citing the the Flyers opening night roster on the back end for 17-18. And, like, how can anyone defend Ron Hextall? Like, three no years. What the fuck were people thinking for so many years? Like, at the time, it was like, yeah, it's all part of the process. But you look back, it's like, this process took six years and it didn't change at all, even when he got fired. That's the only reason he got fired, because he never did anything. Laterra yeah. has seven goals and 36 points in 31 games for uh, Spartak in the KHL this year. Spartak? <laughs> it sounds like a special systems unit in, like, Splinter Cell or something. <laughs> so, what do you think? You feeling a bit more positive after no, uh, two sentences? I refuse to be positive <laughs> about this team anymore. I, I just don't want to get my hopes up again. They played kind of better. I mean, it was against the fucking devil, so I'm not going to put too much stock into it, right? But, uh, you know, they don't have Blackwood, and I believe he's still out on, on the COVID list, so it should be Wedgwood they're facing tonight. So they should have an opportunity again to pull out a, a victory, but I'm still not happy with how they're playing, and I talked about this in the postgame, uh, on, on the anger negative postgame. Like, I, I'm just checked out for the time being. Like... They may win some games, and that was the whole thing to begin with. People are like, oh, it's just six games, Daniel. Yes, it's only six games. They've only sucked through six games. They will get some W's in the win column sooner or later by hook or crook, right? But it's about how they're making that happen. You know, I want to see some good, consistent hockey from each individual player and from a team perspective for a long stretch of games. And then I'll jump back on board and get back on, on the fan bag in here. But in the meantime, I'm just like, meh. They're going to win some games. They're going to lose some games. It's a discombobulated mess right now. And I'm just, I just, I refuse to get excited about it anymore. Yeah. And I think I, I talked about a bit yesterday with Isaiah on OMB and it's, they could honestly like win out the rest of the season and uh, go, what is it? Like 52 and one or whatever the hell it Something would be. Like that, yeah. But um, math is not my strong suit, as you guys have probably figured out by now. <laughs> but... right. I won't judge you on that one either. I, I can't do math either. <laughs> but it's like, until they, do, it's like, no matter what they do in the pl- in the regular season, it's like, I will refuse to buy in until I see it in the playoffs. Because honestly, like, I'll, I'll, I'll be frank, last year's playoffs, like, it scarred me. Yes. <laughs> and like, yeah. I'm not even exaggerating a bit because... You know, like, I've been called, like, the anti-Flyers bias and overly negative in the past couple months. But, like, I literally took a screenshot on it. I put it on Twitter. You can go find the tweet. When the when that round robin ended, I picked the Flyers to win the Stanley Cup. Oh, I, I was all on board after that round robin. Because they looked great. Everybody was cohesive. And Travis Sanai wasn't turning the puck over every three fucking seconds. That looked like a cohesive team at the end of that uh, round robin. But it just fell apart immediately the second they faced some adversity against the Montreal series, and they never got back into it against the Islanders. 
And didn't you, I remember you came on here and you said or you put out a tweet that said like I can't envision this team losing four out of seven games yep. in a playoff series. <laughs> yep, that was me. There's no way this team loses a playoff series best of seven. No way. <laughs> and what I saw in the playoffs, I was quite because the Montreal series, I was just like, okay, maybe you're playing down to your opponents. You took them a bit lightly. You but. All in all, they were a better team. I wasn't liking the way that they were winning, but they were, you know, they were, what, getting a one or two goal lead and shutting it down. Yeah. They were pretty much playing dead hockey. And they were just using their... And I really thought that their defense in that series is what got them out of it, along with Carter Hart. But when they just continued the same play in the uh, against the Islanders, it was... I could not believe what I was watching. Because, you know, we, we hear people talk about you know, Giroux and Voracek and Katoria were thrown to the wolves under Ron Hextall and he, they didn't have a supporting cast and they had a bad coach. And, you know, Yori Laterra and Dale Weiss were fixtures yeah. on the third line. And this is all true. But you would have thought that now that they had a defense that I still believe, given the right circumstance, could have won a Stanley Cup. Now that you had a legitimate head coach led uh, in uh, L- you had a good goaltender in Carter Hart. I would have thought that all those guys and just the team as a whole would have played better because of it. Like, okay, we've been fed to the wolves for the last five or six years, but now we have a chance to actually do something. And look, that team had holes, of course, like Derek Grant as the third line center and whatnot. Like it wasn't perfect, but I still thought that that team could have done something. And I know everyone crapped all over uh, Vigneault for deploying Nate Thompson well above his head. And in a lot of ways, it was his fault for that. But I think him doing that was in large part to the Flyers not being able to score. And him saying, if I match up, let's say, Couturier and or Claude Giroux against the other team's top line, we're never going to (laughs) score. My only hope here to get some offense in is by getting them away from the other team's best players. And, you know, he called them out on more than one occasions. Like I I have trouble putting Voracek into that group because I still feel that since the turn of the calendar into 2020. far and away their best player. Just, just, Voracek has been just a beast. Like, I was never his biggest fan. You can go back and listen to some of these earlier shows before December of last year. Hated the guy. It's the consistency. It's the lack of effort. When he is uninspired, he is uninspired. But, you know, he was he was playing so goddamn good and so driven. Even in the playoffs. He was one of the few people in that entire series outside of Carter Hart that you would notice, try, and win a hockey game. You know, it didn't translate in the score sheet, but he was trying. And I feel the same way this year as well. Even the nights when he's not scoring points, like, he is still going out there and he's busting his ass every night. For whatever reason, he has a fire lit under him right now. And it's not doesn't seem to even go, doesn't seem to be going out anytime soon, is what I'm trying to say. I'm getting excited talking about Jake Voracek, goddammit. And I've always said that he's the guy that if you attempted to trade him, you would never get fair value because of his contract and he's still a top line player on almost every team in the NHL and that's why like if they were ever to go down a hypothetical road of trying to change the makeup of the team I don't think he would be one of the guys moved to be quite honest with you and I I truly do feel that of all the players that they have he is the best offensive guy 
and you know his size and i and i think he has a lot left in the tank like he doesn't look like he's slowing down looks like he's getting faster yeah exactly and and maybe it's because he doesn't play an overly physical game and he doesn't play a taxing style that he's able he's been able to you know keep this pace up but like and I'll even throw JVR into the mix, and I know you hate him, and I'm not a huge fan of him, but as at least he's doing his job. Like, For I'm now. not going to expect JVR to be, yeah. But, I mean, we have to call a spade a spade. We have to call a spade a spade. Fine. But, like, like <laughs> just begrudge. I'm going to mail you a JVR jersey. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, I guess the thing about it is, that made me a bit optimistic even when they were losing and playing like shit. And I put this tweet out when they lost, when they blew the lead to Boston in that third period is that at least those two guys are playing and performing like they theoretically should. So at least in that respect, it's like, okay, well at least we don't have to worry about that for the time being to your point, because at the end of the, at the end of the day, it is pretty much only a seven game sample size with JVR of him scoring and playing hard on a consistent level. But it's like now that they were, I'm not even getting group before check in there because we just talked about how great he's been. But now that JVR has gotten his head out of his ass, it's like, well, now the defense is shit. Now yeah. Oscar Limblom is kind of nowhere to be seen. Like, and I haven't caught a hundred percent of every game, but I've heard some rumblings that he's kind of just been existing Limblom. That is. More or less, yeah. He looked good out of the gate in the first Pittsburgh game, uh, first game or two. But after that, he's just he just kind of exists right now, yeah. And again, like I I have a hard time grouping him in with that whole like crop of that I often talk about of like Abe Kubel and Lawton. He gets and the Roffle. benefit of the doubt, certainly. Right. Now. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, obviously working back into it from, you know, surviving cancer uh, about a year ago. So I, I don't put any stress on him. But I think he is playing over his head a little bit. He's still predominantly been in the top six um, because they don't have anybody else to necessarily replace him on the, the left side right now. Um, but, you know, he, he's just he has been physical. He's been getting in there. He's been doing his work, but it's not necessarily translating to points. He, he could be playing better. But again, he's one of those guys more even with Nolan Patrick. I feel the same way. I'm kind of like, you're here right now. I'll give you a pass for the time being, you know, get, take some time to get your game back. And then in, you know, six months from now, then I'll start grilling you. Yeah, those two guys, it's like I'm really not going to get on their case until, let's say, next season. Yeah. Like, the, the, they get a pass for obvious reasons. But even though I'm giving them a pass, I'm not going to harp on them. It just kind of – and not so much Patrick because it's he's a center. And, yeah, it's worth noting. And it's it's still that redundancy in the lineup Yes, that yeah. it's – like, they just need something different. And, like – like I said, to kind of stick on a positive note here, it's like, at least for the time being, their offense is far from the issue. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened, but their their power plays working was like awesome. The you have guys scoring like, aren't they? Av- I feel like every game they score more than three goals. <laughs> like, aside from those two blowout losses to the Bruins and the Sabers, like I feel like they're always scoring at least three or four goals a game which was unheard of for them, especially in the postseason. The 6-5, uh, but... uh, they beat the Penguins. Uh, it was 6-5, 1-3, 4-1-5. So when they're not getting blown out, they are putting up some goals. 
So it's like that's very positive, and it's and obviously the defense has to sort itself out. Obviously, Harp can play better, but again, I'm not gonna begin to start blaming him for any of their uh, shortcomings to this point. But uh, Ali, it's been brilliant, so he's proving he's us wrong fine. again. But I don't think we ever really. Pardon me. He's been fine. He had that one really good game earlier in the year, whichever the hell we played. I guess it was a shutout, and then uh, he looked he looked fine. Uh, the other night against the Devils. He looked real slow again. Um, that was t- a typical Brian Elliott game. He had a couple great saves, but at the end of the day, it was like, God, what the fuck is this guy doing net at this point in his career? And I don't think any trepidation in regards to Elliott has ever been his play on the ice. It's always been his durability. Like, how yeah, long yeah. is it going to be before he breaks down? But look, to this point, and seven games is a I guess it's not too big of a sample size, but it's it's decent that their offense is, for the most part, performing well. And that gives me some optimism that, like, okay, well, for at, to this point, I've been proven wrong because I was very, you know, hard on the offense. I wasn't very positive in regards to whether or not they could perform at a high level. But to this point, their high-end players have played like their high-end players. So I got to give them credit where credit is due. That being said, that defense, like... You know, I, I know Shane Gossespear had, a, by all accounts, a good game, all things considered. But you, you need to, like, this defense, even when Phil Myers returns, like, this is not going to work. It's not going to fly. Yeah. And, I, and I really think that that bottom six needs a different, like, attribute. You need something different there. You need a different quality. Like, I, I, I've said it a few times, but like guys like Lawton and Obi Kubel and I guess even Michael Roffle, even though I like the way he plays and I feel like he can really go anywhere in your lineup. So I don't always put him in that group with those other guys, but guys like Lawton and Obi Kubel, like they're fine players, but there's a part of me that just wishes like, damn, like, can't we just like get these guys out and bring in like guys who can like bang some bodies, intimidate the other team you know, drop the mitts if need be, provide some intimidation. Like, if they added two guys like that, I would feel a lot more optimistic about this team. You know, if they added two players like that and the offense continues playing like it is and Katori comes back for in the not-so-distant future, I would look say to myself, like, okay, at least theoretically I could see this offensive group being good enough to make a run here. But even with the offense performing as they are now, without those types of players in the bottom six, I, I can't really see it. They need they need something different. And, you know, I, we talked about this all summer long. People go, oh, well, you know, the roster's the same. They've got three forward lines and their fourth line steady. Like, it is a steady fourth line, all things considered. More often than not, they have been their most consistent line uh, more off, uh, throughout the year so far. But you just you need something different. Raffle and Lawton and Abe Kubel, especially Abe Kubel, has been relatively disappointing um, to start this year. You just—they're all just dudes. They're all just—they're perfectly fine fourth liners, a good pair of hands to have around. But you need something a little different, especially with how soft this goddamn lineup is. The fact that they have not given Samran a chance yet is so incredibly frustrating. You know, you have the solution to that problem on your taxi squad, and they refuse to give him a try. For whatever reason, AV is gonna ride or die with this same roster, the same group of guys, you know, you know, until hell freezes over, and you know enough people get hurt where they have to use Samaran. You know, I don't understand why he's so sub- uh, stubborn about that, considering you know this group is not working very well right now. I don't see what the issue would be 
um, to to put Moran in there. I mean, what are they going to do? Lose? They're doing that anyway. You know? So I I really don't see why we haven't seen Moran yet, at least once, just to give the guy a try. You know, because like it's the most obvious thing that they can address within right now. The defense, it's horseshit. But they, there's nothing you have to write. You have to go with these guys for the time being. But you can fix your physicality. You can try. And realistically, as I talked about on Twitter, this isn't just one person, right? You could put Sam Rand in, and it would help immensely. But it has to be a mindset. You need, like, three or four people sprinkled throughout the lineup that can do this. And you really don't. You know, your entire, you know, even JVR, who's getting all these accolades because he's checking more often. And I'm looking at this guy, and he may be crashing into people more often, but he's not, you know, physical. I always go back to that Ristolainen hit. When he tried to hit Ristolainen from behind, Ristolainen saw him coming and just stood there. He just bricked up JVR, smacked into him, and he fell down like an idiot. You know, it's just, there's been a whole lot of that with this team, where they're trying to do something, but it's not really the case. So, give Samaran a chance. God damn it. Well, let's just say, like, hypothetically, the offense continues the, the path it's going down. And, you know, JVR continues to bang in power play goals and he finishes on a pace of, for 30 goals. Voracek keeps up this pace of play, which to this point, I'm just going to assume he is because it's been like a full calendar year at this point. And Katori comes back. Let's say hypothetically they were to add to add two guys like uh, Bertuzzi and Lawson Krauss to that forward group. Would you be confident, and I'm not talking about the defense here, but would you be confident in that forward group to make a deep push? Okay, hold that thought. I just... Uh, Michael Russo, who's the Minnesota Wild guy, excited for former Minnesota Wild defenseman Nate Prosser. After two years out of the league, number 39 is in the Flyers lineup versus the Devils tonight. Huh. Nate Prosser. Is the savior this blue line needs, apparently. Oh, my God. Who's sitting? Friedman, probably? I would assume so. Oh, I mean, my <laughs> God. I mean, it says a lot about what A.V. thinks of uh, Gustafson. He was not kind to Gustafson. He was not kind to Mark Friedman yesterday, either. He was uh, very underwhelmed with what Friedman has brought to the lineup thus far. What were his defense? What were his uh, direct uh, comments on that? Um, Bill Meltzer tweeted it out. Let me see if I can uh, find it here. But he was uh, something about he expects more out of him uh, along those lines. Uh, well, to be fair, look, Prosser's going to bring, we were just talking about bringing some toughness, but like, look, six foot two, 200 pounds. He was always kind of that rugged defenseman. But, you know, he, the last time he played in the NHL was 18, 19, and he only played 19, uh, 15 games. So, I mean, uh, to be quite honest, ever since they signed him in the summer of 2019, I was always kind of wondering if he would eventually find his way into the lineup. And, I, I mean, it can't hurt. I wonder. It can't get is worse, he gonna... right? AV on Freeman, I mean, he's been okay, but my expectations are higher. I need to see a little more urgency, consistency on breakouts. I've seen him play with more bite than he has right now. Which is true. He did not look... I, I think he's been a little more physical lately in the past few games uh, that he's been up after he got dropped on his face against the uh, the Bruins. But I don't know. I, I have not been overly thrilled with him either. But I don't think he's a guy you're supposed to be overly thrilled with. Um, he's one of those guys that the less you hear his name, the better he's probably playing. And the only time I've really noticed him is when he does get in the uh, 
you know, post whistle scrums there. So I don't know. It can't hurt. I mean, Gustafson was was just the drizzling shits of defensemen. You know, nobody likes that guy, whatever. Um, so it can't hurt to put Prosser in for a night, I guess. But uh, I don't know. Guess we'll see. <laughs> Not exactly excited. You know what? It's weird. Uh, I'm uh, I'm kind of excited. If that sounds. <laughs> But I think it's just because you've quite literally just finished speaking about missing some toughness. And I think Prosser's that type of player. Like, okay, he's going to be a defenseman, so he can't exactly start throwing fists and whatnot. But I mean, at least it's something different. Like, I know Friedman kind of brought that bite, but he's not overly big. And it was more between the whistles. You know what I mean? But I think the Flyers need a defenseman who could clear the doorstep, for lack of better words, and be physical around their own net. And obviously, Prost is not a guy who could do that in any large capacity as far as ice time goes. But I mean, at least it's something different. Look, I'm going to give A.V. credit. I'm like, I've quite literally just finished ranting about how this team lacks toughness, and at least he's going to bring him in. I don't think it's going to move the needle in terms of defending over better. But, uh, I mean, at least it's something, uh, it's just a different element. That, it's not at least Gustafson. That. I guess that's all I can say. He's not going back to Gustafson. At least he realizes that he sucks. So, anything's better than Gustafson. I guess we'll see. Who the hell is even on the fourth line these days? Is it Braun down there? Braun and Prosser? Ooh. The, you mean, no, they're both right shots. I would assume it's Hag, Braun, and then Sanheim, Prosser. Oh my god. But, like, you know, it's Sanheim, it's, um... I hate him! I feel... I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay. So, let's just say WrestleMania main event, Sanheim versus JVR in a ladder match for the championship. Who are you intervening on behalf of and throwing off the ladder? Hmm. <laughs> as long as Sanheim doesn't win, I guess. If you can tell, I'm a huge wrestling guy. <laughs> I I would yeah, I can uh as long as Sandham doesn't win, I guess I would need to put over Prosser. Mm. No, no, it wasn't. It was Sandheim versus JVR. Oh fuck JVR. <laughs> JVR JVR. He's the the epitome of my every. I don't know what the fuck I'm going with that. Fuck JVR. The fuck them both. Of antithesis of my uh, being of my 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 soul. My hockey fandom. I don't know what the fuck. Off the rails at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, yeah, fuck Sanheim um, too. Fuck them both. Tip the ladder over and I win the belt myself. How about that? <laughs> Cash in, money in the bank. There you go. <laughs> but um, look, at least it's something different. Um, I, and you know what I'm going to... One thing I'm going to say before we close it out here is like, even when he's healthy, I don't want Morgan Frost in the lineup over Connor Bonneman. I'm just going to no, say it. No, neither do I. I like Bonneman. He's an NHL player. I... I I want Bunneman to stick in the lineup. Maybe I'm overrating him, but he's a guy that, you know, I like players like that, that you don't hear fuck all about them. And then they just show up and they keep showing up and playing well and showing up and playing well, find their niche. And he forces his way into the conversation. And I like, I really like Connor Bunneman. I feel like he found a role in this team. He's a perfectly fine depth guy. And uh, I think he brings enough to the table where you can stick around and I think the longer he plays and gets consistent ice time you know the, the better he has the chance of being I don't think he's ever gonna be anything special 
I don't think he's ever going to work his way up the lineup, but he can be a, an incredibly good uh, fourth liner and, and, you know, be the successor to uh, Michael Rothlin and Scott Lawton, who are both up this summer. And, you know, theoretically, there's a good chance at least one of them doesn't get brought back. So, you know, they're going to need somebody like Bonham in to start getting those reps and, and to get ready because he's the, the theological, theoretical, I need a goddamn thesaurus up here, uh, you know, successor to to one of these guys. He and... Maybe David Kasha, I guess. I wonder if Frost goes back to the Phantoms now that they're starting back up when he's healthy versus sitting on the I, I would, squad. Uh, I would assume. And, look, I'm not even going to blame Frost. Uh, I was about to say Frosser. <laughs> but um, I'm not going to blame. We're a complete mess right now. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I'm not even going to blame Frost. Like, look, he got hurt, but, I mean, he wasn't ready. No. He's not. he's not. And go send him down there. I don't know if there's going to be any talented players to play with down there you could probably speak to that better than me i don't know if forrester is going to stick i guess that depends with what happens with the ohl they're around right now um yeah you know, it all depends on what happens with uh if the you know the the juniors ever come back or not but forrester is there wisdom's there lozinski's there i guess allison will be when he returns uh shushko was recalled kosh is there uh, sign, uh, Sandine. Why the hell did they even sign Linus Sandine anyway? Hey, that one's uh, more and more baffling by the day. And the defense is, is rebuilt. Uh, Millman, Wiley, Hogberg, Zamula, and uh, Derek Pouliot. So, some, uh, uh, the Phantom, this is one of the first times ever that I was like, excited to watch the Phantoms live because they have so much talent there this year that I could have actually observed. Um, but can't do that anymore. So, you know. All the uh, OGs in Lehigh are gone. They got rid of uh, Greg Carey. Wilcox left in free agency, and they traded Brennan last year. So the last of the original Lehigh Valley Phantoms are are no more. Carson Trins. Brennan was the captain? I believe so, yeah. Who's the... (coughs) Brennan was the Have they named a successor? Not to my knowledge, No. I would assume the it, longest like, tenured I mean, phantom right now is who's actually on the roster is Carson Turinsky with 105 games under his belt. I'm not going to lie. I was not a fan of him at the NHL level. I think he's just a bit too reckless in his play. He doesn't quite have Bull in a China shop. Yeah. I, I don't know if I rule him out at all time, but uh, he needs, he needs that time to, uh, to get better and adjust and, and kind of, make his game a little bit more NHL ready. But, yeah, he's a little too a little too reckless at the uh, NHL level. But, you know, time will tell. Well, let's hope that they can build off something tonight. Yeah, they play the Devils tonight, and they have a back-to-back over the weekend with the Islanders. And then I believe yes. they play Boston again <laughs> next week. Great. This is the potential to be a hell of a four-game stretch coming up here. <laughs> hey, look, look. They have a chance if they come out of, let's say, these next five games and they look good against the Bruins and the Islanders. By the next time we do this show, I could be singing a very different tune. That's all I'm going to say. It is true. I believe our next show is you know later next week. So it's possible we see at least three of the four games played. If they look competent, which LOL at this point, but... Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll have a different feeling, but I'm not planning on it. I refuse. If JVR scores two more goes down, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. 
Okay, you know what? If he scores, okay, 56 games. If he scores 25 goals this year, you have to buy a JVR jersey. Mm, I had a JVR jersey once upon a time, but I sold it because it Did you burn it? (laughs) You paid someone to take it? Yeah. Is that a deal? You have a deal? Fine. 25 goals. He's going to do that in like three games now just to piss me off. <laughs> wins the if he wins the rocket, you have to do you have to do a JVR appreciation show. Oh god. It's all gonna happen now just because I'm that's why I don't that's why I don't gamble on sports. It always comes back to bite me in the ass. But fine. Fine. JVR jerseys and I have to come in here and say something nice about him. I don't think I've ever Did once said anything buy- nice about JVR. Have you have you did you buy a retro jersey of nope. the Flyers? I so. have not bought a retro. They're fine. They've kind of I don't hate them as much as I used to when they grew on me. Uh, they've grown on me a little bit, but I'm still not super interested in owning one. So, so if he wins, if he wins the Rocket, you have to buy a reverse retro JVR jersey. All right, I'll do that. And if and if he scores 25 goals, you could get any JVR jersey of your choice. Fine. I'm gonna buy a black one, but I can't decide if I'm gonna go. And I'm dead serious about this. I'm not being sarcastic in the slightest. I'm not sure if I'm gonna buy a Provorov one or a Bunneman one. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think I only have one black one right now. It's a uh, game issued Moran jersey that won a war, but he fucking tore his ACL last year. The asshole. But um, yeah. Are they as gorgeous in uh, in person? They're fine. I really think the uniform makes that jersey specifically. Um, they, I've grown less enchanted with them over the years. What the versus when they first came out, I thought they were awesome when they first came out. But they're fine. They're I like them more than the uh, reverse retro. But I have the classic orange one that they still wear with Mike Richards with the C on the front, and I have the 2012 Winter Classic of Wayne Simmons. There you go. No. And my dad has a Hartnell one from the 2010 Winter Classic, which is effectively their home, jer- their away jersey now, which is disgusting. I think Hartnell is one of the few Flyers jerseys that I've never actually owned. Really? Yeah. He was my dad's favorite player. I always liked him too. I don't know why I never uh, bought his jersey. I just bought a, a Game Born Wayne Simmons jersey not too long ago. Oh, nice. So we'll be back next week. Yeah, sometime next week. As for myself, I got one more show this week. Then we can wrap it up. This will be my fifth show in three days. And I've done, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen shows in the last uh, week, week and a half. So <laughs> this is the last one. Uh, well, I guess we'll go out Angry Negative post game tonight. Um, last one until Monday, then, probably. So. I get to take a couple days off, rest my voice a little bit, because my, my throat is starting to drive me nuts. But uh, at Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Heart Countdown, if you ever want to count down Carter Hart's wins with me, if he ever wins a game again, uh, is the crucial part. There, I guess I'll get a chance tonight. He is starting tonight against the Devils, so we don't get the Hart uh, Blackwood showdown that everybody wants to see. But I'll be back. Hopefully he gets a win. Doesn't look like complete ass in the process. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at AdamArco25. All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night.